Greater Santon and beyond. Get ready for the Santon Times Hour with your host, Alexander. That's right, it's the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 FM and is always available as a podcast on Apple, Google and Spotify. I'm Alexander Leibner and this is the best of edition. Yes, you heard that right, it's the best of edition and I'll explain all of that in a few minutes. It's the last of March 2023 and uh, if you want to get in touch you can email editor at santantimes.co.za or you can connect on social media at Santon Times or visit the website www. .santantimes.co.za Send us your questions, your comments, your feedback, your thoughts. All are welcome and you're invited to be part of this conversation. Thank you for joining me as you tune in from all around the world and uh, the greatest parts of South Africa. I'm happy to report that all is well in Santonland. And once again, things might sound a bit different this week as we've put together one of a few best of editions of the Santon Times Hour to highlight some of the great interviews over the last 100 releases of this show. And Vincenzo has been working hard in the archive this week uh, and he joins me again. And thank you very much for all the hard work. I know this has been a monster of a show to put together. Well, coming up on this best of edition, turning back the clock, I chat to a restaurant strategist and marketing consultant about what we expect when going out to eat. And uh, his words ring just as true months after our initial chat. Then it's a book that has always seemed to fit the zeitgeist. And uh, I chat to the author about making the best of a challenging economic situation then and now. Next, I headed up to the roof of a Santon shopping center to pick some fresh vegetables. Stay tuned for that. And then one of South Africa's most iconic cup classiques marked 30 years in business. And I chatted to the winemaker about their incredible journey. And finally, if you enjoy bread, business and baking, I wrap up the hour with one of those great lockdown stories. All this and more coming up. So instead of the headlines for this week, we dive straight into those interviews. But first, let's kick it off with a bit of music. Show some love. Subscribe. Share. Leave a review and rating for the Santon Times Hour on your favorite podcast app now. From Greater Santon to the rest of the world, this is the Santon Times Hour. That's right, it's the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8, and that was Ready for Your Love by Gorgon City featuring Mnek. In 2021, I had the pleasure of having a long chat to restaurant strategist and marketing consultant Mike Said, talking about the challenges of running a restaurant at the time. Some of our conversation still rings true in 2023, as Mike and I chat about customer service. So I believe that right now expectations on the restaurant are actually higher than they've ever been and not lower. The ability to deliver on restaurants is harder than it's ever been. They, they're working with with a lot of the time, untrained staff, uh, guys who are under pressure themselves, taking big strain at home financially themselves. What, what we really right, need right now is a little bit more understanding between the public and the restaurants and the restaurants and the public. This is not a, this is not a one-way street. Restaurants need to really appreciate the value of every customer that comes in. And sometimes I get the feeling that they're not. That, that's kind of what I'm reading, that 10% of the population, and no disrespect to the other 90%, 10% of the population can tell really good food from great food. They, they, 
that little, that, that marker. But 100% of the population can understand good service from bad service and can understand when they're being valued and treated like someone worth something to them. Advice to restaurant owners, listen up really carefully. Nothing costs more than an empty seat. You need to go out of your way. And I'm not saying you have to sell your soul and, and, and remortgage the house just to keep your customers happy. But there are some things that you have to start doing. You have to start understanding the value of these customers at the moment. At least make them feel valued. You know, I, I worked for Benful Malta in the old days. The guy that started uh, Mug and Bean and before that Linda Longa and Rattlesnake Diner and Tijuana. I mean, a restaurant... Uh, my mentor and my doyen and, and Ben used to just like, like tell us all the time that, that customers will forgive you almost anything. They'll forgive you bad service. I'll even forgive you a rude waiter occasionally. What they won't forgive you is the feeling of being ripped off. The moment someone feels that they've been ripped off, there is no coming back. And, and that's the thing to really avoid. Just make sure your customers walk out of there feeling like they've had value from you. Whether that value comes in the size of the meal, the quality of the meal, the service, the hospitality, all those things add up to an incredible restaurant experience. And we, we as an industry, need to start over-delivering on that. Well, I definitely echo the sentiment of uh, feeling ripped off. I mean, I've had a fair share of restaurants where I've gone there, highly hyped up, considered sort of the special occasion restaurant, the one you've got to go to when you're in Johannesburg or in Santon. And after having gone there once, being invited a second time by somebody else and eventually me telling that person, look, you know what, actually, I'm not going to come to this dinner because I don't want you to waste your money at this restaurant because I honestly think that they're taking the piss. And that's putting it quite nicely because, you know, it's not what it, it not what it seems, you know, it, it's not that uh, cathedrals that you build to these, some of these institutions are really worth what, you, what you're paying on the, ta- on the plate. And also I find it quite interesting that you've just observed that um, it's such a fine line right now. And I've had a very similar experience as well with the hospitality industry where people are trying to open up hotels. They're trying to keep, uh, you know, operations going, but at the same time, there's this massive expectation by the guest or the person coming to this institution about what it's all about. And I've just had this experience over December now in, at a five-star hotel in Cape Town where it's considered one of the crown jewels in the Cape Town hotel space. But the experience was <laughs> less, than, less than acceptable under normal circumstances. And you have to constantly be weighing this up as somebody who's going there saying, well, you know, it's costing X amount of money per night, but at the same time, can I come down on these people so hard? Because they're working on 20% of the staff, half the stuff hasn't been running for the last three months, so they're having to get everything going again. I mean, you're literally, you know, almost kicking kicking someone while they're down, but at the same time, there's this massive expectation or at least wanting value for money or getting what you're paying for. And it's a really difficult thing to, to, to really juggle. Uh, and I don't even know what the real answer is. It's like you're saying, it's having a bit of forgiveness on the one side and a bit of tolerance on the other side and hopefully somewhere meeting in the middle. Very much so. And I think, I think you summed it up. We, we, you know, you're spending big money. So you're expecting, right now, you're expecting even more than you expected before because you're one of the very few people who are spending that money and have that money to spend. But the restaurants and the hotel, the whole industry is just not quite able to deliver the, the levels that they were before. So they have to make up for it in other ways. And one of the ways to make up for it is through hospitality and personal service. You know, be, be there for your guests. Just listen to them, understand what they've got to say. Kind of the answer is absolutely what was the question is, is kind of where we're heading at the moment. I, 
But at the same time, the restaurants have to remain profitable. They can't uh, overstaff. Uh, they can't give you everything for free because they've got to make money. So hopefully a little bit of understanding between the public at the moment and the restaurant owners. Although I work with the restaurant, I, my job is not to train the restaurant, train the public. My job is to train the restaurant owners and to train the staff and spend time and effort on training at the moment more than anything else. I, I'm very often I'm asked one simple question. I'm asked, Mike, is service as bad as people think it is or as, as bad as they make it out? And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not, but it really comes down to one thing. It is impossible to deliver a level of service greater than that which you yourself have been exposed to. Now, we are sending waiters to your table to sell you a seafood platter who, one, have never seen the sea, and two, have never eaten a seafood platter. So they take their guidance and how to treat customers exactly by the way that the manager is treating them. So if you walk into a restaurant and your waiter is rude to you, I can promise you right now the manager is probably rude to the, to the waiter. And if the manager is rude to you, it's probably because the owner is rude to him, and so, so it goes down. We need to train our staff to empathize with our customers, to understand them, and to deliver hospitality. You know, service is easy. Service, I go to the ATM, I put in my card, I press a couple of buttons, I get out some cash, assuming I've got cash. That's, that's, that's service. Hospitality is a different thing. Hospitality you get from real people. If there are any restaurant owners out there, particularly if there are any waiters out there, Right now, customers really only want four things from you. It's as simple as that. Look at me, talk to me, smile at me, thank me. If you, if you could just get through those four basics to your staff, train them every single day. Look at me, talk to me, smile at me, thank me. You're probably 90% of the way there. The rest is the little the nuances. Uh, did, did he hold the plate correctly? Did he? Most people aren't even watching that anymore, except at the very high-end restaurants. It's, it's time for the industry to kind of like move up a notch as hard as it is. Now's the time to, and, and those guys that do it are going to, they're going to reap the benefits for years to come because the playing field is going to be uh, decimated or not, maybe not quite decimated. It's, it's going to be thinned out. There are going to be less options at the same time. Same time, there are going to be less people with money. So make sure that you value every single guest. Your, your, your motto in your restaurant, every guest leaves happy. Simple as that. This is the best of edition of the Santon Times Hour and that was my chat with restaurant strategist and marketing consultant Mike Said back in 2021. Let's take a quick break and I'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour. The best of talk and music in one hour. This is the Santon Times Hour. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8. And you're listening to the best of edition this week, bringing you some of the great conversations of the past three years. Bruce Whitfield is a well-known and seasoned broadcaster and author with his smash hit book, The Upside of Down, How Chaos and Uncertainty Breed Opportunity in South Africa. He sold thousands of copies across a few reprints of this book, and I spoke to Bruce back in 2020, and it is remarkable how much of the book and our conversation has stood the test of time. We pick up the conversation talking about some of those South African companies who managed to thrive even at the most difficult of times. In the book, I talk about the, the Bidvest business philosophy, and Bidvest's philosophy, and this may some people may find slightly offensive, is that Bidvest does not participate in any recession. And you go, hold on a second, that's 
the most insane thing I've ever heard. But it goes down to Brian Joffe, who started Bidvest, if you remember, back in 1987. What was happening in 1987? South Africa was so far deep down in the pit of junk that it didn't even have a status. South Africa's economy was broken. South Africa was in the midst of a civil war on its streets. P.W. Buerta's uh, draconian rule was coming to an end. We were headed to a period of considerable political uncertainty, a darker time then, um, than I, I, I would argue, than what we have today. Um, and somebody like a Brian Joffe starts Bidvest in those days. And you say to him, well, that was not very smart, was it? I mean, what a terrible time to start a business. And he goes, well, actually, it was a brilliant time to start a business precisely because everybody else had panicked, everybody else was capitulating, and there were deals on the table. There was opportunity to be had in that deeply negative environment. You talk to the founders of First Rand, um, to, to one of them, G.T. Ferreira, and you say, was 1987 the hardest time in your history? I mean, you were a fledgling financial services business, you owned RMB, you hadn't yet bought Southern Life, and you hadn't yet bought um, FNB. Surely that, that must have been the darkest time because actually that was the best time ever for us. And it does come down to mindset in terms of dealing with crisis. If you are the most resilient in an environment which is negative and where people are capitulating and where your competitors are going out of business and you're managing to survive, you put yourself in a position where you are able to thrive when things turn because ultimately things do turn eventually and don't ask me for time frames because there's absolutely no way of knowing but certainly the history books will tell us that survivors of crises emerge stronger than when they went in they've learned a lot of painful lessons they have uh, earned a lot of painful stripes and they are able to once you can navigate a crisis of this depth and magnitude you can practically do everything anything you like um, and so as we go into this crisis yes they're going to be casualties but also the survivors people who take the midwest mindset of saying that we do not participate in this recession because the moment you go into it and say oh, we're in recession, you start thinking in a recessionary frame of mind, you start consolidating too much, you start cutting out not only the fat of your, your business, but you start cutting into the muscle of your business. And the moment you do that, you then impact your ability to grow in the future. So it's about navigating the crisis. It's about finding a way through the mess. And those that do find their way through the mess succeed. Those that don't capitulate and die. It's the brutal reality, Darwinism, I suppose, at its very best, the survival of the fittest theory. It's almost a difficult thing to have to try and uh, digest because I think so many people at this point are getting so caught up in the, the mechanics of running their business that to kind of sit back and try and reinvent your thinking or to kind of have an optimistic attitude and, and mindset is almost, it almost feels like such a daunting task on its own. Uh, it's, yeah, again, let's not let's not sugarcoat this thing. It's not about being an optimist because optimism can sometimes just be you know, delusion. Um, it is about simply navigating better than your rivals. It is about finding the opportunity and it's about identifying those opportunities and focusing in on the opportunities that present themselves while your rivals are capitulating because there are always, I mean, Sun Tzu, 
the great uh, Chinese military strategist two, three thousand years ago, was talking about you know, in crisis, crisis brings opportunity. It's a philosophy that somebody like a Stephen Kossip has lived to uh, with his business in Investec for, for, for so many decades. I mean, he ran that business by and large for three to four decades. And um, crisis brought huge opportunity for businesses like Investec. Crisis brings huge opportunity for, for large corporations, which at that time were not large corporations. My favorite quote in the book, um, and I borrowed it, from my kids' music room at schools. Um, it, it's in the kids' music room at school, and it says, dear optimists, pessimists, and realists. And you know these people, don't you, Alex? I mean, uh, optimists absolutely. to go, oh, I'm such, a, I'm such an optimist. I just, oh, it's all going to be fabulous. If you're an optimist, you're dead, um, simply because you're not then grasping the reality of the situation in which you're in. Sure. Uh, if you're a pessimist, you're equally dead because you're not going to see opportunity. If you're one of these people who claims to be a realist, actually, you're just somebody who is quite is quite negative because you know you get the i'm really an optimist and but and anybody who follows uh, the sort of half a sentence with the word but discount everything they say beforehand so i'm really an optimist means actually i'm deluded i'm i'm actually a pessimist well then i don't see opportunity i'm a realist means actually i'm on the fence on this thing and i can't make a decision either way optimists pessimists and realists I drank the water. While you were arguing about the level of the glass, I drank the water. Regards the opportunist. And opportunists are the sort of people who have thrived in so many times of chaos and crisis in South Africa. I mean, you're too young to know and to remember the oil crisis of the early 1970s, the Soweto uprising of 1976, the 1980s, which were a period of massive wealth destruction in South Africa, hyperinflation, um, and huge interest rates. I mean, interest rates were going up to 25% at various points and um, money had no value and those were times of real crisis but people found a way through they muddled through the crisis some people strategized their way through the crisis and then into more recent crises of um, 85 the rubicon speech 87 the debt stand still 89 the political uncertainty that came with the announcement um, that uh, nelson Mandela and was going to be released and there was huge political uncertainty at that time chris harney gets shot in 1992 and, and south africa goes to the brink of civil war but we get through all of these things um, and some companies fail in that process and some companies succeed and some companies just manage to survive. Yet those that navigate crisis are the ones we have to pay attention to because they teach us so many valuable lessons. Bruce, what are you hoping anybody picking up your book will take away as that one nugget? Um, what I'm hoping people take out of this is that what we need in South Africa is a generation of rebels, renegades, and problem solvers. Um, you, I'm, one of the, the corporate talks that I have done over the last couple of months has been entitled, in fact, Rebels, Renegades, and Problem Solvers, in which I, I make the point that so much of our media necessarily, I think, focuses on the rascals and the reprobates and the problem causes, whether they be Marcus Uester or Jacob Zuma or the Guptas, whomever your favorite uh, figure of disdain is. And it's important for media to do precisely that, and that is to expose the thugs and the crooks and the scoundrels in our environments, because without media exposure, without that oxygen, um, these guys would continue to operate with, without any uh, sort of constraint whatsoever. But where we fail um, as media in South Africa is we don't 
you know, and again, you don't want sunshine journalism for a moment, but we also don't give a very clear holistic picture. Not everything is good and certainly not everything is bad. There are a huge number of people who run wonderful businesses, who run remarkable problem-solving businesses. And I, I've got a whole bunch of case studies in the book, The Upside of Down. And I mean, the subtitle of the book, of course, is How Chaos and uncertainty breed opportunity in South Africa. And one of the many problems of this lockdown, uh, not of this lockdown, of this environment, has been the failure of the state. The state wants to be at the center of everything. It wants the developmental state. So it you know, has SAA and throws tens of billions of rand that can go into I don't know, building useful things like schools and hospitals and buying things like ventilators. But instead, it's insisted on propping up SAA, which employs lovely people, but it wastes so much money. And in that crisis comes, and in that chaos comes opportunity. So Fly Air is going to emerge in a very, very strong dominant position. Um, I, I look at a company like Spark Schools, and it's a, a young woman called Stacey Brewer, who, like so many other young South Africans of her age, um, and uh, you know, in 2010 worked for the World Cup for FIFA, running all of their, uh, their entertainment venues, and she earned a lot of money. And the purpose of that was to get an MBA so she could, quote, go overseas and get a job. But halfway through her MBA, she began to understand South Africa's education crisis, primary education crisis. So she and a colleague uh, who was studying at Gibbs with her at the time started Spark Schools. And at last count, they had 21 campuses. They were educating 15,000 kids at the same price as government spends, by the way away per child um, in the government school system with considerably better outcomes. She saw the opportunity for low-fee, high-tech um, high um, education in South Africa. She doesn't treat kids like idiots, and she stretches them and, and gets these kids to do remarkable stuff in their classrooms. So this economy needs problem solvers. Um, this economy needs people with a mindset of creation and creativity, and we have so many enormously talented and gifted people who are going to be going through hard times right now. We're going to have to find a new niche. We're going to have to find a new shtick and they're going to push forward. It's about finding the gaps. It's about finding the opportunities in a really, really difficult and very messy economic environment. That was an outtake of my interview with Bruce Woodfield talking about his book, The Upside of Down, How Chaos and Uncertainty Breed Opportunity in South Africa, back in 2020. The book is still going strong, and I encourage you to grab a copy, either digitally or in hard copy. This is our best of edition of the Santon Times Hour. Time for a quick musical break, and more of the Santon Times Hour right after this. Promote your brand. Advertise your business. Our audience could be your next client. Contact the Santon Times today. Back for more? The Santon Times Hour continues. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 with Gypsy Woman by Beats by Hand and Kelly Meijer. Taking you into the second half of the Santon Times Hour, my name is Alexander Leipner, and uh, if you are new to the show, well, this is how things work. If there's anything that sounded good during the show but you didn't manage to get all the details, be sure to visit the show notes on the website www.santontimes.ca for a detailed breakdown of everything discussed on this week's Best of Edition. Also, be sure to check out our social media accounts at Santon Times and feel free to engage with a tweet, a WhatsApp, a DM, a voice note, a post, whatever works for you. 
you can do that. And you can also use hashtag Santon Times Hour. Over the past three years, there's been an interesting development expanding on the roof of the Morningside Shopping Centre here in Santon. Hydroponics farmer Zandila Kumalo has built the most remarkable installation farming in the heart of Santon. And I kicked off my 2021 interview with her, asking her about this venture. Basically, in the farming industry, I started as a conventional farmer back when I used to plant on a 2,000 square meter backyard at back at home. From there on, I realized that I needed a little bit of mentorship and some guidance in terms of farming because I was young and, you know, it was in my beginning phases. And then I volunteered at one of the farm just to learn the basics of farming and how to run a farm. But I realized that they face issues like weather conditions, your irrigation systems, and that the world is even facing issues of how land is needed, how water has been used, and the scarcity of food within the country. And with that, then I then realized I need to do some research upon it, and let's find ways how we can make it even better, but still supply food so that we do not have a scarcity of food, you know? Be a sustainable farmer, but you being able just to make sure that the world is in is working in its way environmentally and with that I then realized that there is hydroponics and then I started my first business at Val University of Technology trialing it out and hydroponics then it was working well and we're able to mitigate all the issues and the challenges that we're facing in terms of the world itself and then from there on um, the collaboration for Neighbor Roots came through and as that collaboration started between Flanning and me in the technicality side and also Red Hill we wanted to be able to bring up the idea of bringing food closer to the market after realizing that then the restaurants are being hit through the COVID scenario of them not being able to get vegetables and we decided that within the sustainability of agriculture we can be able to just take this agri-tech and bring it on the rooftops and that's how the model of us starting here in Senton and being the first sentence rooftop farm that we are able to build here. Well let me just paint a picture for those people listening so we're actually at the moment sitting on top of the roof of Morningside Shopping Centre in a greenhouse tunnel I think that's the right sort of uh, terminology for it and I'm currently looking at tomato vines I'm looking at uh, trays and trays of lettuce there's uh, spinach baby spinach and I see you've also got some normal spinach going you've got some edible flowers going here it's quite sensational what you've set up here and maybe to give people an understanding of what hydroponics is for, for, for those who are not sort of in the hydroponics game j- just explain to us in layman's terms what hydroponics farming is? So hydroponic farming is adding nutrient solution water to your roots just to help your roots to grow at its optimum best. So we put in some nutrients inside the water, we make grow granular nutrients, we liquefy them, we run them underneath which is through the roots and then the roots would absorb the nutrients whenever it needs it, whenever it wants to, to be able to absorb and grow and then therefore you'd have your full plant after but we use medium cold cocoa peat we do not use any soil just to make sure that we, we keep everything in a neutral base uh, so you haven't got any chickens or, or cows walking around on the roof here just to clarify that but there's a whole there's a whole business model behind this as well i mean you're not just growing tomatoes and and uh, spinach and salad and i don't know eating it yourself mm-hmm. There's an entire business model that you've also got going with the mall. Just tell us a little bit more about that as well. 
the business model is that we're selling straight into the shopping center, which then helps us to mitigate also the carbon emissions of transporting food from afar and bringing it closer. So our restaurants are able to just uh, order on a basis, on a weekly basis, which helps us to be consistent. And therefore we pack and then we send it straight into the shopping center. We've got restaurants like Signature, Pomodoro and the green pepper concert, the guys that order from us, we are still getting pick and pay on board. We are going to be getting refillery and wellness warehouse because of our vegetables are fresh, they are clean, they are nutritious and they are able to be eaten and consumed in the most quickest time turnaround of, of, of when a restaurant would want it. So we are selling freshness and nutritious vegetables in their kitchens. I also believe there's a plan to also get a bit of a market stall going downstairs. So if people visit Morningside Shopping Centre, hopefully in the future, they'll be able to pick up some of this fr fresh produce uh, as well, so directly to the consumer. Yes. But uh, if you eat at any of these restaurants that uh, Zandila mentioned, you'll know that you'll be getting it straight from the rooftop. Like you said, there's no transport. Everything's grown, I mean, meticulously here. It really is uh, just the most beautiful produce that you've got growing here. You are busy trialing peppers at the moment, yes. but what are your future plans in terms of some of the other vegetables uh, that you might want to, uh, to bring online? With the bigger picture, Flanagan and Flanagan and Jared with Neighbor Roots and Red Hill, our big picture is to get the whole entire rooftop to be a vegetable garden, to be a vegetable farm, sorry for that, just to be a vegetable farm so that we can be able to get the whatever restaurant vegetables that they need, they are to buy them just here on the rooftop. Even when the clients come through, you'll be getting your carrots, your beetroot, your peppers, your chilies, and you'll be getting your tomatoes, your heirloom tomatoes, and we'll be trialing them out and being able to just scale them out within the roof. Then you wouldn't have to go afar saying, thinking and having a thought that it started at the DC before my life, before the shelf life of that produce starts with me. But then when you come straight to the farm, you'll be knowing that it's, you just got it straight from the garden. I saw it being harvested that morning and therefore the shelf, shelf life starts with you as a client or in that kitchen and therefore when you eat it you can taste the difference of how that produce is inside your mouth and you could actually taste the value of it. That was hydroponics farmer Zandila Kumala on the roof of the Morningside Shopping Centre and I encourage you to go pay her a visit and try some of her fresh produce. Connect with the Santon Times. Email editor at santontimes.co.za now back in 2020, Graham Beck celebrated its 30th anniversary and I had the chance to chat to Mr. Bubbles himself, Peter Ferreira, Graham Beck's then cellar master. And we kicked off our conversation reflecting on the journey so far. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, it's been uh, an amazing uh, 30 years and uh, yeah, it still remains a journey. One would think, uh, you know, we've come a full circle, but there's always the different avenues that we can, uh, you know, access and, uh, you know, even make uh, Grainbeck more special. Well, tell us a little bit more about those, uh, that journey and some of the highlights. Uh, you know, 30 years is a bit of a lifetime. So, you know, uh, I'll try and keep it, uh, you know, short and concise. Uh, but it's really been fantastic. Uh, I started off as a specialist uh, winemaker uh, working with Achim von Arnhem. Uh, in the, you know, Pierre Jordan in Franchuk. And uh, then in 1990, um, uh, we met uh, Graham Beck and uh, his vision was, uh, you know, to establish uh, a wine farm in the Robertson area uh, and, uh, you know, concentrate 
been a specialist producer of Cup Classic. So, uh, yeah, that is 30 years ago. And there's been really amazing uh, happenings as such, you know, not only with the magic of the farm, but also, you know, to the brand itself that, you know, there's some really amazing stories. The first one has to be the 1991 when we did a vintage under the stars. We started uh, preparing uh, the winery in the late 1990s. So uh, uh, the the cellar roof wasn't up. So yeah, we made uh, that year the vintage under the stars. So quite special. And um, then 1994. Uh, with Nelson Mandela being inaugurated as our first uh, Democrat president. He obviously used uh, the grain back. So uh, it's been really a great uh, kickoff for, for grain back in the early 90s. And subsequently to that, well, there's many, many other stories, I guess, one can touch on. Uh, but we need some time, Alex. Well, I'm going to touch on some of those stories for you because I think they're absolutely worth a mention and I think you're being very humble. But, I mean, you mentioned Nelson Mandela. He uh, <laughs> toasted uh, with Graham Beck Brut uh, at his inauguration. Then U.S. President Barack Obama toasted to his election night with a bottle of Graham Beck Brut. Uh, then the Graham Beck Blanc de Blanc 2008 was served as part of the lavish wedding b- uh, banquet of Princess Madeleine of Sweden. And then in the latest James Bond bestseller, yeah. uh, the author decided to uh, give our favorite British intelligence agent a glass of Graham Beck uh, Curvey Clive instead of a martini. And then also Prince Harry of Britain served Graham Beck at one of his fundraising dinners. So I would say it's been a pretty good 30 years for the brand. Yeah, lots of royalty, obviously lots of kingdom in there and obviously for presidents. So uh, it's really amazing. I've really come to realize that storytelling in winemaking is extremely important. And also, you know, it really brings kudos to the brand. And, you know, when we when we started to sell wine in the U.S., we actually didn't talk about the wine as such, but we actually still talked about the Mandela story and the Americans loved it so much. So, uh, you know, that is how we got much closer to, you know, Barack Obama using it in 2008. So really great kudos. We, we have developed also a beautiful portfolio over the years, you know, that we, you know, have a beautiful diversity of Cup Classics today. A, a great cocktail bartender once told me that you don't drink a drink, you appreciate the Cup Classic or the whiskey or the, the wine, and it's because you're drinking a piece of history. I mean, some of these things were bottled years and years, if not decades ago, and you're drinking a, a slice of that moment when it was bottled. And I thought that is such a great way of of summarizing, you know, what you're having when you, un, you know, uncork a bottle and you sort of pour it into a glass and you enjoy it. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to find out from you what's changed in the way Cup Classic has been made, if anything has changed over the years. There's some really uh, great points you, you, you touched on. Re- remembering something, you know, and I wish uh, we can meet uh, at some stage in Robertson, you know, where we can actually open you a the, that vintage under the stars in 1991 that is still beautifully fresh and hasn't really lost any sparkle or anything like that. So, yeah, it, it makes it rather special. Regarding to what has changed uh, on Cap Classic, when the association was developed in 1992, we uh, said, you know, we we need to have a a, a sort of a, a name, 
that we can use instead of using metal champenoises because up to 1995, we were permitted to have a reference to metal champenoises, which means the method of champagne. It became con uh, restricted that we couldn't use uh, that reference. So uh, we got together in 1992 and we developed a cup from the Cape and classic, the traditional method. That has, has stood the test of times really Next year, Cap Classique will be 50 years old in South Africa. Uh, Franz Malan of Simonsig produced the first Cap Classique uh, in uh, 1971. And I think uh, uh, a lot of things that has improved over the time, it's more about the improvements that's happened than the changes in Cap Classique, because the method has remained the same. And I think uh, winemakers are just putting so much more emphasis on their Cap Classique. So, you know, as, as a category, it's really now sort of on the radar in the international markets. Uh, and obviously, 83% uh, of all Cap Classiques is still enjoyed locally. That was Mr. Bubbles, Peter Ferreira, Graham Beck's then cellar master as we chatted about the winemaker's 30th anniversary. More of our best of edition of the Santon Times Hour right after the break. Follow the Santon Times on social media. At Santon Times. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 with Point of View by DB Boulevard. Now, during the initial months of hard lockdowns, I came across an inspiring story of two brothers who did a complete 180-degree switch from construction into starting a deli right here in Santon. And uh, from humble beginnings, they've built up a really lovely business. And I spoke to one of the brothers, Matt Amoretti of Tiamo Deli, about how the business got started. I mean, we, we came into this completely by chance. Um, you know, it was more out of boredom than anything else. Chris, my, my older brother, and I both love cooking. And um, we were racking our brains on what to do with our time because our, our day job had come to a grinding halt. And we thought, well, let's make some, some Italian food, lasagnas, cannelloni, that sort of stuff, and see if we can sell it. And we put it out to some friends on WhatsApp. And um, before we knew it, we had, you know, we had like 35 portions of lasagna to cook. And we had, you know, never cooked for more than six people. So that was all of nine months ago and um, we've just had incredible growth and support and like I mean we can't even we can't keep up with what's been going on and I mean we've gone from just doing sort of frozen food to, the, to then creating a fresh menu where we're serving fresh pastas to then someone said to us can you make me a panini and we made them a panini and now that is our biggest seller and every day we have a queue of guys waiting to get paninis we've gone from making a few pieces of pizza or like you know Tray of pizza to just we can't keep up with demand. I mean, every day we're selling our um, our bread. I mean, we added we, we started baking six loaves of sourdough a day. Um, now we're averaging close to a hundred um, every single day. So it's just we've had this incredible growth out of this little like harebrained scheme where we thought let's cook some frozen food and see if we can make some pocket money as a side hustle. And this little side hustle is now turning into a beautiful little deli that serves fresh, wholesome food. And yeah, we've got like incredible customers that come back, loyal customers every single day almost. And, you know, that's just been, been building on that. And I think the next step in our evolution is to serve a really good cup of coffee and, you know, some, a fresh pastry that, you know, was baked that day and it's not resold the next day and the next day. So 
yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy, wild ride, and um, yeah, we can barely, barely believe that it's been nine months since we started this thing. And um, yeah, we, 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 yeah, we, we, I mean, I'm speechless. I actually like we can't describe it. When people ask us, we, we can't. We like, yeah, this is this crazy story that that um, that we came up with, and yeah, it's where we are. I mean, I think it's fantastic. I mean, you even had uh, President uh, Silver Maposa come and visit you the one day. Surprisingly, I mean, he he, he came in one morning and. Um, we didn't even realize he was a counter and um, he must have chatted to us for about 15 minutes. And I think we, we made his day because he, he said to us, yeah, you see, you can't blame me for, uh, you know, lockdown being a bad thing. And that's true. I mean, out of lockdown, we grew this beautiful little business and um, he's come in subsequently and it's more just to chat and say, how are you? How's your business doing? And it's amazing that he's got such a personal you know, he's, he's he's so personable, and you can actually have a five minute chat with him. And he's he's not coming in to want something for free. Excuse me, he just comes in and says, um, "Hey, Matt, nice to see you. I'm so glad you, your business is doing well." And I, and and so yeah, he's become a he's become a, a regular. Everyone every sort of couple of weeks, he's in there, and um, I think he sends his 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 personal assistance up to buy bread. There you have it, Matt Amoretti of Tiamo Delhi. Go pay them a visit. You won't regret it. Trust me. That's it for this uh, best of edition of the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 and is always available as a podcast on Apple, Google and Spotify. I truly hope you enjoyed that walk down memory lane. And if you hadn't heard any of those interviews, I hope you've really made the best of them. You can email editor at santontimes.co.za or you connect on social media at Santon Times or visit the website www.santontimes.co.za. Feel free to send through your questions or comments as always. And thank you to all those guests who've been part of these hours of content over the years. Vincenzo, thank you for all your hard work, uh, digging through those interviews and through the archives and cutting them together to make them all fit this hour. And thank you to the Santon Times team as well as everyone at Mix 93.8. Above all, thank you for making the time to listen every single week. And let's connect again next week. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to the Santon Times Hour. And if you enjoyed it, be sure to share it. 